A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you've joined us on the program today. And by us, I mean myself and uh, Michael Cargill of Central Texas Gunworks. He's going to be with us in just a moment. Talking about bump stocks. Uh, Michael is one of a couple of individuals around the country who have been uh, challenging the Trump administration's uh, uh, ban on uh, bump stocks via administrative action. And uh, in Michael's case, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, in an en banc ruling, uh, determined on a 13 to 3 vote that, uh, yeah, the way the ATF banned bump stocks, uh, not allowed under the law. This is really interesting. And again, we're going to be talking with uh, Michael Cargill about that in just a moment. Speaking of the, uh, because this could be going up to the Supreme Court, and speaking of the Supreme Court, before we get to Michael's conversation, I do want to just mention uh, the fact that the uh, Supreme Court declined to intervene for now. Uh, in the New York concealed carry case. Disappointing news, to be sure, but uh, I think gun owners can be maybe a little reassured by the uh, note that was appended to that denial by uh, Justice Alito with uh, Justice Thomas joining in, basically telling the plaintiffs, look, this is not a, a merit-based decision, right? We're not we're not declining to uh, take this case based on any, uh, 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 you know, insufficient legal arguments here. Basically, uh, we want the Second Circuit to do the right thing. We want the Second Circuit to uh, get on the ball here, uh, to expedite its hearing. And if they don't do that, then, uh, yeah, come back and uh, see us again. As much as I would love for the Supreme Court to pluck every one of these cases that comes before them and say, yep, we're going to take this. Yep, we're going to. I can't believe you didn't uh, uh, acknowledge what we said in Bruin. As much as I would love for the court to do that. I don't think the court wants to do that. You know, one of the things that we saw in the Bruin decision was Justice Thomas exoriate these lower courts for misreading Heller, for misreading McDonald, for continuing to apply this, you know, two-step tiered scrutiny test. And Thomas said, no, that's not what the test is. You don't need two steps. We're already dealing with a fundamental right. We know that, right? And so they laid out the history text and tradition test. I think part of what we're seeing here uh, is an effort by the Supreme Court to get the appellate courts to get on the same page and to do the right thing. I don't think the Supreme Court wants to be the court of first resort to resolve all of these controversies. I think they want to be the court of last resort. And as much as I would love for the Supreme Court, again, to latch on to every one of these cases that comes before it, because we are talking about a fundamental right here, I... I I won't say I have empathy, but I can see the perspective. I don't agree with it, but I can see the perspective of, look, we want these appellate courts to do the right thing. Uh, we want to give them the chance to do the right thing. And if they won't do the right thing, then we're going to have to step in and do the right thing. Um, so I am disappointed, but I am not uh, I, I'm not nearly as uh, skeptical as my colleague Egg Morrissey was over at uh, Ed Morrissey, not Egg Morrissey. Sorry, Ed, that wasn't a ball joke, I promise. But I, I'm not as um, uh, cynical or depressed about this, I guess, as my colleague Ed Morrissey at Hot Air, who uh, wonders if this isn't a sign that the Supreme Court is now backing away from what is said in Bruin. I don't think that's the case. There may be open questions on the conservative wing of the court about 
how to apply Bruin uh, in cases going forward. But I, I don't think that we've seen a sea change uh, in terms of Second Amendment jurisprudence on the court just because they told uh, the Second Circuit, hey, do your job and do it quickly or else we will have to intervene. So what might the Supreme Court do with the uh, bump stock ban? Well, let's talk about that with our guest today, Michael Cargill of Central Texas Gunworks. Take a look and a listen. Michael, thanks so much for coming to the program. It's great seeing you again. How's everything going in Central Texas for you? It's going great. Central Texas, you know, as I like to tell people, as goes Texas, we'll go the rest of the country. So we're doing great here in Texas. <laughs> and uh, congratulations on a an absolutely huge win at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals here in your challenge to uh, the ATF's ban on bump stocks, the administrative ban on bump stocks. 13 to 3, this en banc panel, every judge on the Fifth Circuit says, hey, you know what, the way the ATF did this is wrong. If Congress wants to ban bump stocks, Congress can ban bump stocks, but the ATF can't suddenly change the meaning of words and change the language here in order to try to uh, enact this administrative ban. Um, so before we go back to the Fifth Circuit's decision, I want to ask you, what made you decide that you wanted to file suit against the ATF's ban on bump stocks? Back when all the talk um, after the Las Vegas shooting, uh, the focus was on bump stocks. And you know, I, everyone was was everyone was against us. Everything was stacked against us, and so I even my Republican elected officials were you know against the bump stock at the time. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, you know, so one person in the country may have committed a crime, you know, with this using this part. That does not mean you're going to confiscate them for millions of Americans in the United States because of one person. And so I decided to stand up and fight, and I'm glad I did. Well, I'm glad you did, too, uh, because there are some – listen, we can talk about whether or not uh, Congress should ban bump stocks, uh, and I would say the answer is no. But when we talk about whether the ATF has the authority to do something like this – you know, Mike, I mean, listen, as, as an FFL yourself, you're you're well aware – uh, of all of the rules that the ATF is promulgating now, right? Whether it's the 80%, uh, you know, frames and receivers and their new uh, rereading of their brand new statute, right? All of a sudden it means something else now. It doesn't just apply to the uh, DIY gun kits. Um, you know, the the impending rule on uh, pistol stabilizing braces. Uh, and we know that there's, you know, more coming down the pike. If the ATF can get away with making new law, via administrative action. They're not going to stop with bump stocks. Why would they? Right. And so we and I knew this because I said, man, if they come after, you know, this one item, we open the door, we allow them to take this without fighting back. They're going to come after triggers. They're going to come after AR pistols. They're going to come after braces um, and just everything. 80 percent lower receivers without Congress passing a law. That's not how things are done in this country. We have a constitution. We have a bill of rights. It's not called a bill of needs. It's called a bill of rights. And so I said, you know, I got to do something because if I don't, then these all these these things, all these items, I have them inside my home. And you mean to tell me that the federal government, the ATF is going to ban something, something that I purchased legally. All of a sudden, they're going to come back and they're going to say, hey, it's illegal. We're going to confiscate them from you. And then if you don't give them up, we're going to make you a felon, you know, overnight. And I said, that is insane. That's not how our our forefathers framed this country. That is now 
how it's written in our constitution. So I decided to stand up and, and fight, and everything was stacked against me. Like I said, no one wanted to help at all. And and not only did no one want to help, and I, okay, so how did there is a group that you're working with though, right, on this lawsuit? That's correct, uh, NCLA. Uh, so I reached out to a bunch of people. I reached out to them, and they're not gun people at yeah. all. Yeah. They're not gun people. Their 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 focus is on government overreach, you know. And so I I'm, I was lucky to touch bases with them because they said, hey, you know, we're looking, you know, we're just looking to go after the government on any overreach that's happening, you know, in the nation. Mm -hmm. I think this is perfect. You know, this is a gun case, unfortunately. And I know you guys have not done a gun case before, but are you willing to take this case and take a look at it? So, and luckily they were looking for a client for this particular case. They couldn't find a client and they found me. So we found each other and that's how it all started. You know, and, and so you talk about, you know, people didn't want to help. You didn't get a lot of help at the beginning. What kind of criticism have you received? Mike? I mean, I imagine that gun control advocates are saying, oh, you want to arm mass murderers. Why on earth do you want these, you know, machine guns to be uh, lawful to own what what type of pushback have you received from the other side well, from, uh, it, it was why would you why would you want that device that device has killed you know x amount of people i was there i've, I've had someone reached out to me recently yeah. you know, on social media saying why would you why do you go after you know that device because that device that guy uses to kill x amount of people you know my thing is he could have used anything he could have jumped in a truck, a pickup truck, or an 18-wheeler and drove through. He could have flown his plane into the crowd. You know, he could have used any device whatsoever. That doesn't mean we're going to ban that particular device. You know, you've got to deal with the crazy guy, you know, not the, de the device that he actually used. And so I'm, there's nothing that they can convince me or nothing that they can say to me that would make me doubt why I wanted to do this and, and stand up and fight. Because I knew if you come after this one item, and some people told me, Michael, well, we'll give up the bump stock if they want to take the bump stock. We're not going to fight for that. I said, no, you've got to fight because if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And that's exactly what happened. They took the bump stock and they said, wow, we're not, we're not getting a whole bunch of pushback from the bump stock. Well, now let's go after AR pistols. Let's go after triggers. Let's go, let's, you know, take, go after rare breed triggers. You know, let's, you know, let's reach out to RW Arms and let's make them turn in or, you know, trash or destroy their $20 million worth of inventory of bump stocks. You know, this is insane. We've got to stand up and fight. And I'm glad we stood up and fought. Well, I am too. And again, uh, you know, the three judge now, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I don't have the case right in front of me, but the three judge panel on the fifth circuit originally said, oh yeah, this is fine. Uh, ATF can ban these bump stocks. No, no problem whatsoever. Uh, then when it got kicked up, the, the fifth circuit said, actually, you know what? We want to hear this on bunk. That's when they reversed the three judge panel and said, no, the, the ATF can't do this. Um, so now it's up to the department of justice, right? To appeal this to the Supreme court. If they don't, then this is settled law. This is precedential in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in those states, right? That, that's correct. So if the government does not appeal, uh, which I, I'm 99% sure they're going to, yeah. if they don't appeal, then that means that bump stocks will be legal in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. But they're going to have to appeal and ask for a stay. So don't go and you know recover your bump stocks from that voting accident. Uh, don't go dig them out of the backyard just yet. You know, uh, leave them where they are. And what's going to happen is it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court will hear this case. They hear it. They take it up. 
then we'll wait for the court date. We'll have a ruling and and see what the Supreme Court decides. And it is going to be interesting to see if the Supreme Court takes this case, because we do have splits now in the appellate courts, right? We've had, uh, I think, two other appeals courts say, oh, this is fine. Fifth Circuit says, no, it's not. So there is a, a live controversy for the court, which I think would um, make it more likely that the court would take this case. I mean, I think I think it's like one in every 10,000 cases the court agrees to accept. Right. So, the, you know, the, the thing the thing about this is the my case, Michael Cargill case versus the DOJ or Merrick Garland um, is the only case that actually has had a full trial all the way up the process. The mm. other cases have only had, you know. Uh, decisions on the merit, and they've gone up to the Supreme Court on the merits of the case. They still have to go back down to the lower court to, to do their trial process and make their way up to their um, respective appellate courts with a full case. Okay. So, so it could be, I mean, we could actually see the Supreme Court say, you know what, let's wait and see how these other cases develop to see if there's a, uh, a, 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 a true split as I opposed think, to what we have a split on the merits right now. I, I think what they've done is they've they've re sent those other cases back down to the lower court because they saw this case, my case going forward, and I think they're going to take my case as a framework for the other cases. That way they can decide Cargill versus Garland, and then that gives everyone else, all the other courts, you know, a framework or a foundation for the entire country. Man, I sure hope that that is the case. I, I would love to see the uh, Supreme Court grant cert here. Um, you know, and, and, and going forward, as I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, I mean, you are an FFL. I got to ask, Michael, how worried are you that the ATF might decide to retaliate? Uh, you know, uh, lots of new inspections, uh, you know, going after you for paperwork errors, things of that nature. Are you concerned at all about, you know, retribution from the agency? Absolutely. 100%. So that's why I'm being proactive. I'm on the offense and not the defense. So I took a look at some of the other things they're doing, and they're going after FFL dealers all around the country for just like what you said, little paperwork errors. Since I'm a federal firearms license dealer, what I did was I filed a lawsuit against the ATF and the Department of Justice again. That lawsuit there goes after them for coming after gun stores for making paperwork errors. Because I said, you know what? I'm going to win this case in the Fifth Circuit, and this case is going to go to the Supreme Court, and I'm going to be a target, a huge target on my back. So I said, I need to get on the offense quickly. This is about playing chess and not playing checkers. You know, I'm in this game for the long, you know, long haul, not for just a short haul. And so I've, we have several lawsuits that we filed all over, you know, against the government right now. And that one lawsuit that, that it goes after them for the paperwork errors, that's going to, you know, actually help every FFL dealer in the country. And I think we're going to, we're going to be successful in that case as well. I, uh, I, I, I hope that you are right. Uh, fingers crossed. I, you know, listen, I, I, I hate to make predictions because I always end up getting it wrong. So if I say, I hope, then that's good. If I say, you know what? I agree. Then all of a sudden I've cursed you. So I don't want to do that, Michael. Um, hey, listen, while I've got you, I got to ask you, I mean, what, do you have any thoughts or advice to your uh, friends and fellow FFLs in Illinois right now who are dealing with this, you know, brand new gun ban that just got put on the books, gun and magazine ban, I guess. Right. Definitely get with your your savvy, you know, Second Amendment attorneys, you know, start your cases now, because as these other cases make their way through uh, up to the federal government, you know, I think we're going to be able to help each other. You know, the Cargill case against Mary Garland is going to help a lot of cases. It's going to help, for example, uh, RW Arms and them getting their 20 millions dollars. $20 million back from the government. It's going to help rare breed triggers and, you know, them 
being attacked by the ATF. So this case is such a very important case for this country because it basically says that the ATF can't create law. We didn't focus on, you know, you know, saying this is our Second Amendment right. We didn't focus on those things. We actually took a look at this and said, you know what, let's just focus on what if it's the, um, I don't know, what if OSHA decides one day to say that high heels are illegal, they're ba we're going to ban them because they're causing a lot of, you know, uh, injuries for women. And so we're going to get rid of high heels, going to ban them, confiscate all the high heels, make you destroy them. And then if you have any high heel shoes, we're going to make you a felon overnight. This is basically what we're saying, that the agency within the federal government cannot create law. Congress has to write a bill that goes – it goes to the House, the Senate, the president votes on it. It becomes law. That's how laws are made in this country. That's right. And there are definitions about what constitutes a firearm. There are definitions about what makes a machine gun a machine gun, right? That's and right. the ATF had previously looked at all of those definitions and said – well, bump stocks, at least non-mechanical bump stocks, uh, aren't machine guns, right? Uh, they, they, they don't affect the pull of the trigger. The trigger still has to be pulled one time for every round that's discharged. And then after Las Vegas, and look, I mean, you know, I understand this was a horrific incident. I understand the agency's uh, desire to respond. I understand the Trump administration's desire to respond. Correct. But that desire doesn't negate the limits to your constitutional authority. And right. that's the problem here, right? Congress did not act to ban bump stocks. Congress could have taken a vote, and they could have banned bump stocks. And who knows? Maybe there would have been enough bipartisan support to do that, but that's not what happened. They passed this off to the agency, uh, knowing – and the agency you know, said, okay, we'll do what we can, but they didn't have the power to do this. So I, you know, I, I do want folks to understand because I know that there might be some folks watching out here who are like, well, yeah, I'm kind of iffy on bump stocks too. Great. You don't have to be a fan of bump stocks to be opposed to how this ban was put in place. That's right. Uh, you, you cannot give the, the government an agency within the federal government. You cannot give them that little inch. You give them that inch, and they're going to take a mile because it will apply to other items and other things. They're going to expand on that overreach, and we have to stop all of this overreach no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be something that you're passionate about, something that you're concerned about. But just think about it like this. They take that item that you're not concerned about then you know that person lose their item when your item comes up you know for bid guess what no one's going to be there to fight for your item and there's a little saying about that first they came for this person then they came for that person then they came from that person then when they came for me there was no, no one else left to fight for me so it's time to fight now not wait until they take the first item let's make them stop with that first item so they, we can stop them on all the items you know this is about you know i i tell people you know for me this is I'm passionate about this. You know, this is something that's ingrained and instilled in my body. I, I decided I want to do this, you know, just fight for people, you know, fight for my family 20 years ago. And that's why I did this in the first place. 20 years ago, I decided that I was going to travel around, you know, the state of Texas and start educating college students on gun laws because I want to pass something as simple as, as, um, as campus carry. I wanted campus carry to be passed in Texas. I was told that campus carry would never ever to be passed in Texas. There's no way, you know, you're gonna get that done. You might as well give it up. But I didn't give up. Instead, what I did was I traveled around to, you know, to Texas Tech University and taught a hundred students, staff, and faculty um, the gun laws. It did that several times. I went to University of Texas of all places and did a 
handgun course on the campus, 100 students, staff, and faculty several times. I went out to Texas A&M. I went to uh, universities down in San Antonio and, and got with the college students and their professors and educated them on gun laws and you know what, that, what they are and what that means here in Texas. And me doing that 20 years ago, guess what is happening now? Those people that I was talking to at the college campuses 20 years ago, they're now attorneys. They're clerks. They're working in judges' office. They're working at the Supreme Court as a clerk. Some of them are judges, you know, because I started that education 20 years ago. And because of that, this is where we are today, you know. And I've been doing this for a very long time, and I'm asking people to get on the bandwagon because we're pushing this train up the hill, and we're coming to the top of that hill right now. And we don't want that train to come back down on top of us. We want to push it right on over and on over so it can get done. And we're this way we can make sure that we maintain all of our guns. We're, you know, we're not giving up anything here. That's right. Michael Cargill, man, it is always so good talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. And I uh, hope we get a chance to do this again very, very soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, Cam. I love you, sir. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I follow you all the time and I really appreciate you. And um, yeah, we're going to sit at home. We're going to watch Shot Show from home. That's right. That's right. We'll watch out show this. Hey, maybe we could do a maybe we could do some sort of like Mystery Science Theater three thousand where you and I get together and we'll just uh, we'll watch a shot show live stream and make uh, live commentary. Hey, man, I love you too, Michael. Thank you again for being on the program, and uh, we'll talk soon. Michael Cargo with Central Texas Gunworks with us here on Barry and Arms Cam and Company. I appreciate Michael joining us on the program, and uh, yeah, we'll be following this case along with all of the others as they uh, make their way up to the Supreme Court. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We will uh, start there. Not quite a true recidivist report, but still just one of those sentences that leaves you scratching your head. Uh, an Iowa man receiving probation after robbing a, uh, another man at an Eau Claire motel room. A 21-year-old Travon Stacy of Iowa City pleaded guilty recently in uh, Eau Claire Circuit Court to reduce charges. Felony count of robbery with use of force, a felony count of aggravated battery, was dismissed, but was still considered, apparently, by uh, Judge Emily Long at sentencing. I'm not sure how that works. Um, anyway, even though he beat the crap out of a guy, uh, stole $1,600 from him in a motel room, Javon Sacy pleaded guilty to a felony, but, yeah, won't do any time behind bars. Uh, four years on probation has to undergo drug and alcohol assessment, has to write a letter of apology, uh, has been told to pay $7,835 in restitution. We'll see if that actually happens. But uh, no prison time for beating a man, leaving him bloodied and taking his money. Seems to me to be just a little wrong, right? I'm not saying it's a life prison sentence, but probation? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but when you draw blood... In your uh, violent robbery attempt, it seems to me like that should result in something more than just a uh, don't do it again. Today's armed citizen story from Georgia. I love this one. Uh, armed customers prevent couple from robbing a Georgia's gas station at gunpoint. That's right. Don't, don't, just don't. If you're in Georgia and you have the idea that uh, you're going to go out and commit a violent, just don't. Because, you know, odds are pretty good that, uh, yeah, there might be an armed citizen or two. Somewhere around that uh, could either intervene or maybe you choose the uh, wrong victim. So this happened back on uh, January 9th. Um, Chief uh, Edward Lacey of the uh, Elijah, I, I, I'm probably mispronouncing the name of this uh, town, uh, Elijah, Georgia. 
uh, L-E-I-J, J-A-Y, I believe. Anyway, it was about 6.30 in the evening. Officers from the uh, local police department uh, and deputies from the Gilmer Sheriff's Office arrived on the scene at a uh, attempted robbery and learned that uh, just a couple of minutes before, a uh, individual named Sean Sutton uh, had entered the Ideal Mart, posing as a customer, purchasing an energy drink. His wife, Melody, police say, waited in a parked car outside the store. Uh, inside the store at the time was a store clerk and two customers. A third customer was also at the gas pumps. Uh, after obtaining the energy drink, police say the suspect pulled a pair of women's panties from around his neck to cover his face. That's right. He apparently used a pair of his wife's undies as his mask. I don't want to know if they were freshly laundered or not. My brain keeps, I don't, stop it, brain. Just, we, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to this story. All right, let's move forward. So after pulling the uh, pair of panties up over his uh, face to uh, use as a mask, he then went behind the counter, pulled out a, a 45 caliber pistol, pointed it at the head of the clerk, and demanded money. There was a, a customer, legally carrying a concealed firearm, who then produced his own handgun and, quote, intervened in the robbery while the second customer went to his vehicle, obtained his pistol, and returned to assist the first customer in subduing the suspect. Yeah, the suspect was attempting to leave when the customer of the gas pumps, who was also armed, (laughs) came inside to assist. Three customers, all three of them lawfully armed. How about that? Uh, The uh, first customer seeing that the suspect had been disarmed, then verbally instructed the other customers not to shoot the suspect. Uh, At this time, police say law enforcement officers arrived on the scene. One officer encountered the suspect still attempting to leave, gave him verbal commands to stop and get down. When the suspect failed to comply with the officer's verbal commands, the officer engaged the suspect with a taser, uh, an electronic control weapon, uh, and he was taken into custody. Other officers arriving on the scene found the suspect's wife in the couple's car, parked uh, off to the uh, side of the store. She was taken into custody without incident. Sean Sutton now charged with one count of armed robbery, one count of aggravated assault, one count of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. The uh, pair currently being held in the Gilmer County Adult Detention Center without bond. Presumably uh, one less pair of panties there involved as well. But uh, how about that? Three customers at that gas station and all three of them armed in self-defense and ended up saving the life, perhaps, of that gas station clerk as well as their own. Finally today, our uh, good deed of the day. I mean, that was a pretty darn good deed if you ask me, but we'll give you another one. Jefferson County, Alabama, where a uh, security officer able to save a man from choking at a local restaurant. They were both just out to grab a bite to eat, but uh, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Um, The uh, Bright Star Restaurant in Bessemer, Alabama, has been around since 1907. Looks like a fantastic place to uh, go and eat. It is uh, Suzette Witted's favorite restaurant. And so uh, she was there back on December 22nd when a uh, fellow patron kind of motioned at her and she looked and she said, I, I knew we needed help right away. So she's there in uniform. She said a man sitting a few feet away uh, was choking, couldn't breathe. So she said, I went into mode thinking, all right, this is a Heimlich maneuver situation. She said her training kicked in. She said, I started thinking, is this really working? And then she said, my coworker was in front of me, said, Suzette, I think he got it. After so many pumps, we looked down and all the food had been thrust from his throat. Uh, Suzette said the restaurant burst into applause once the man could breathe again. And uh, she said one of the most emotional moments 
for me was when his little girl came over teary-eyed saying, thank you for saving my dad's life. Uh, that girl's father, BJ Parker. And uh, not only did uh, Suzette and BJ take a, a picture together afterwards, but uh, they have connected. They have, uh, I guess, stayed in touch over the past few weeks. She says, uh, quote, as far as my duty, it's to help and I always try to help. Uh, it's just an honor to be able to save a life because there are so many people losing their life. And uh, again, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing and to save the life of a uh, fellow citizen of Jefferson County. She said, Witted, we thank you very much for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being with us as well today. Uh, we'll be back with another show on Monday, but don't forget, check out BearingArms.com throughout the rest of the week and over the weekend as well. We're keeping you caught up on all of the Second Amendment news and information you need to know about. If you like what you see, I would encourage you, as I do every day, to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Just use the promo code GUNRIGHTS when you go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Not only will you get a significant savings on your VIP membership and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're supporting our independent pro Second Amendment journalism, but we're going to give you exclusive content, analysis, opinions you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Look forward to talking again on Monday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>